Welcome back to the This Day Podcast. My name is Megan and I'm so thrilled that you would decide to take a few minutes out of your day and listen to the podcast. Joining us today, we have a local business here in Nashville called Thistle Farms. Thistle Farms is an incredible organization that helps those in need get reestablished, get grounded back on their feet, and just it gives them a second chance. Y'all, sometimes we need that second chance in life to just start again. So today we have Doris, an individual who's gone through the program at Thistle Farms, and she's going to share her incredible story of how God has been faithful to her. Now Thistle Farms has gotten her back on her feet, given her a second chance. I cannot wait for you to meet our friend Doris. So check out a word from our sponsors, and then let's get to know our friend Doris from Thistle Farms. Friends, we're so excited to partner with Dwell Bible. Dwell is an incredible resource and tool that you can use to grow in your faith. You can have scripture read aloud to you, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, having your quiet time, whatever you may be doing. You can click our link right now to learn more about what Dwell Bible has to offer. Well, Doris, why don't you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself and how you got kind of involved with Thistle Farms. I will. I will. So my name is Doris Walker-Taylor, and I serve as Senior Ambassador for Graduate Advisor at Thistle Farms. So Thistle Farms is an absolutely amazing organization, and it is this organization was designed to help women just like me. So this program was founded back in 1997 by Becca Stevens. So our founder and president is an Episcopal priest, but Thistle Farms is not a religious organization. And because I'm a believer in the beginning, I didn't get it. But now I realize that they do it that way. So it opens the door and it leaves room for everybody to come in, no matter what your religion is, the lack of religion or whatever. You come in and you can get loved on and you can get the healing that you need yeah. and you can get all the stuff that you need without any strings attached. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant because I understand it now. Yeah. So Farms, I, I want to, uh, to talk about my journey that led me into Thistle Farms. But I want to start off with talking about some of the other women at Thistle Farms. Like Thistle yeah. Farms is made up of a lot of different entities and a lot of different types of women. So at Thistle Farms, we have the cafe at Thistle Farms. Are you located in Nashville? I am, yes. Well, okay. So we're, we're a local company. We are a founded local company, but we are globally wide now. So we Thistle Farms Cafe is on Charlotte Pike, 5122 Charlotte Pike. The food is absolutely amazing. And it is ran by survivors just like me. Miss Donna Dozier is the sous chef there, and she's a graduate. And we have all the women who serve the food and cook the food. And we have people to come in. And when you come into the cafe, it's beautiful there. It's like when you walk into the place, you'll see a sea of teacups above your head. And that those cups were sent to us 
because in the beginning, we were going to make the cafe a tea room. So our founders sent out a request for teacups. We got an overwhelming response. We got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teacups, beautiful China teacups. And with every cup came a story. So we were going to, in the, in the beginning, we were going to call the cafe just simply a story in every cup because we actually put the stories that came with them in some of the cups. But there's a sea of cups there. The cafe has so much healing power and all the food is cooked with love and the women get their lives back and get jobs there. We have the front store at Thistle Farms where all the products are sold. Now, some of the products at Thistle Farms are made by the very women who benefit from them, uh -huh. from the sale of them at Thistle Farms, by the graduates. They make the products. We also have a lot of products that come from all over the world. We have global partners in all parts of the United States, uh, in parts of the uh, parts of the world. It's globally. It's like we have this bug spray from Rwanda, Africa, and the active ingredient is geranium. And the geranium was grown in the fields of Rwanda, Africa, where the, their ancestors died in the genocide. We have this amazing Moringa tea that comes from San Juan Casolos, Mexico. And this tea is a superfood bush. And the women grow this wonderful tea, and then they send it to us. It has vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, potassium, stabilizing blood sugar. It's a great tea. You can buy it in a tea or you can buy it in a potter. We have one of our newest initiatives is a group of artisans from uh, a group of artisans that weaved and loomed these beautiful blankets and it's called Love Rises. And th these people uh, actually sat on their bunkers because in the dark because they, you know, there's a war going on and they have the headlights on their head and they loomed and weaved these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mats. Um, not mats, but beautiful blankets. And then we have love welcome mats that come from the women uh, that were lived in refugees camps. So we have people all around the world that make these wonderful products and jewelry and bracelets. And it's amazing. Um, there are some women who come into Thistle Farms because they were sold into human trafficking at an early age. In the beginning, that was not part of my story. There are some women who come in at Thistle Farms because they grew up in homes where addiction was prevalent. And that was never a part of my story. I had an amazing childhood. But when I talk about women being sold in human trafficking, I'm talking about women between the ages of 7 and 11 years old. And um, some women come in because they were touched by a family member or a stranger and their molestation started a cycle of trauma in their lives and they landed on the streets. And as I mentioned earlier, um, When I got to Thistle Farms, I didn't quite connect at first because I had, in the beginning, I had such an amazing childhood. I grew up in a faith-based home. I grew up where my mother and my father were humble believers in God, and they taught me all there was to know about the Word of God. But then one day out of the blue at the age of 12, a troubled family member came into our family home, severely injured my mom and shot my father. I was 12 mm. years old and I had never in my life witnessed such violence, such hate. And I can remember standing there and I can remember screaming and running over to my daddy. And just as I got there, he fell, which resulted in my being partially trapped underneath my dying father. So my daddy died that day, and that 
thing changed the trajectory of my life for the next 26 long years. For the next 26 years, I remember being in school. I remember coming home by myself and going to school by myself because my mom became the sole breadwinner. I remember sitting in the classroom and my grades began to fall because I couldn't focus. And at that time, so I'm old, y'all. I'm like 67. But at that time, I guess no one reached out and just said, are you okay? No one took me to therapy. So I tried to fix it on myself. So for a 12-year-old to try to fix that type of childhood trauma, it didn't go well. I can remember I thought it was a good idea to start hanging out with the cool kids at school. So by the age of 13, I had developed a childhood addiction to marijuana, but I remember I thought marijuana was the answer because when I smoked it, I'm like, wow, I feel better. And some of the fear went away and all that grime and grief lessened, but I didn't realize marijuana was a gateway drug. So when it stopped doing what I needed it to do, I had to find something a little harder. So I landed on the streets of Nashville as a young adult and I was fully addicted to cocaine. And when I got to the streets of Nashville, that's where I began to live a truly inhumane lifestyle. So everything about my life changed. I was no longer going to church with my mom and my dad. I was no longer singing in the choir. I was no longer praising God on a daily basis. Now I'm trading myself as though I was some type of a commodity. I was trading myself to get out of the cold, blistering weather. Nashville. Trading myself to get out of the hot sun. Nashville, because you know that's the kind of weather we have. So my life had really, really changed. Now, I remember that my mom and dad taught me that music is food for the soul. And they taught me that prayer is the most powerful tool that we possess. But if you're on drugs and you're on the street, you can't form, I couldn't form a prayer. But I could remember the 23rd Psalm because I used to say it every day of my life. So while I'm really high and while I'm really inebriated, I will walk down the streets of Nashville and I would recite the 23rd Psalm because I knew that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And I would just cry out and I would say, God, if you would just please come get me, I promise you I would dwell in your house forever. In those days, my life was full of going to jail and getting out of jail and getting in the car with the wrong person. None of the cars were the right person, but I really got in a bad car toward the end of my stint on the street and I got trapped in human trafficking. But my life was full of going to jail and getting out of jail. And I like to make the analogy of Thistle Farms versus jail. When I came into Thistle Farms, they loved on me until I could love myself. When I came into Thistle Farms, they told me that I could do it. So it's good to believe in yourself. But when you've got an entire community of folks behind you telling you you can do it, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your life. And at Thistle Farms, they would tell us to dream and dream big. But when you went to jail, it was a totally different type of atmosphere. They would tell you when to eat and what to eat. And they would take your clothes and give you this ugly orange jumpsuit. And they would tell you, they would talk to you in a manner that made you feel even worse about yourself. So I'm sitting in jail. 
And I had a 26, I had 26 long, miserable years of addiction. And I guess I was about in my 25th year. And I'm sitting in jail with my head down and my spirit is really low. And I'm like, good grief, how did I get here? What can I do to change this? And so when I was on the street, I had a good friend named Regina and Regina had just disappeared. And I thought Regina was dead because our lives did not hold any value on the street. So I'm sitting there with my head down and I looked up and across the room, I saw this girl and I thought, is that my friend Regina? And it was, it was Regina, but she wasn't there as an inmate. Regina was there because she was one of the first five women that came into the Thistle Farms program back in 1997. And Regina was standing there and she looked different because she was glowing from the inside out. And I said, Regina, is that you? And she said, yes, Doris, it's me. I got my life back. And I'm like, how did you do that? She said, I found this program. I'm like, can't do that, Regina. I, I just can't. I have gone to so many programs. I've gone to so many 30-day programs. But what is 30 days going to do for me? I've now been addicted the vast majority of my life. And she said, no, Doris, this is different. This is a long-term program. And I said, you know what, Regina? I have even gone to halfway houses, and they're 90 days. But they charge 125 to 140 a week. Now, nobody would hire me because of my background. So I'm living in a halfway house. I'm paying $125 to $140 a week. My mom is sending me money to ride the bus back and forth to work. And I would have to, I'm clean from drugs because I'm in a halfway house. But I would have to go right back out and trade myself as though I was some type of a commodity to pay my rent. And after a while, I would feel so bad about myself that I would just fall right back into my addiction because nobody was sending me to therapy and nobody was talking to me and nobody was helping me learn how to stay clean. So it was a vicious cycle. So Regina said, no, Doris, no, no, no. So at the time she was talking to me, Thistle Farm started off as a residential program and it was called the Magdalene program. It was the Magdalene house. And she said, I'm talking about Magdalene. This program is designed for women just like us. This is a two-year program. You come in, you stay there free. The houses are beautiful. They send you to therapy. They get your teeth fixed. They send you to the doctor. If you didn't finish school, they'll send you back. And I'm like, what? And she gave me the number. Now, usually when I got out of jail, I would go right back to the street until I came right back to jail again. But this time, it was a little different. This time, when I got out of jail, I held on to this number that Regina gave me for all my might. And I went back to White House, Tennessee, because that's where my mom lived. And I had been addicted about 25 years. And I had been on the streets close to 20 years and I had two beautiful children because I was married for a short while and I had two beautiful children. And I thank God every day that my mom was raising them because I couldn't take care of them. So I go back home to White House and I'm holding on to this number for all 
my might. And when I get back to my house, my kids run outside and they hugged on me. They love their mama. It didn't matter that their mama was a crack addict. They loved me. It didn't matter that I probably smelled like a bear. <laughs> they loved their mama. They loved me. So I walked in the house. And I thought, if I can just leave this number in my mama's house, because she was a prayer warrior. She was a prayer warrior. And I thought this number would be safe because everything I touched turned to dirt and everything I had, I lost. So the home wasn't a safe place for me because if I would just walk into the room where I grew up as a child and sit on the bed, and look right over my shoulder. The very spot outside my window was where my daddy fell dead. So home was not a safe place for me. But I walked in the house and I looked around and I'm like, wow. And I went in the room and there was this beautiful picture of my daughter on the wall that my mom had put in there. So I climbed up on the bed and I took that picture down and I scribbled that number on the back of it that Regina gave me. And I put it back up there and I thought, now that number is safe. So I stayed home for a couple of days and I called Regina. I said, hey, Regina, this is Doris. Remember that program you told me about? Can I come in? And this was like the end, this is like the beginning of 2009 or maybe the end of 2008. And she said, Doris, you know what? We have over 150 women on the waiting list, but because you're my friend, I'm going to talk to the director and we're going to get you in. When I tell you that was the first bit of hope I'd had in my life in a couple of decades. I'm like, oh my God, I just might be normal again. You know, the word normal back then don't mean the same as it means now to me. Because back then I thought normal was doing what everybody else do. Now I realize there is no normal. I mean, anything other than the cycle on the washing machine, there is no normal, you know. So, but I think like I might be normal again. So Regina said, just stay there and I'll call you back. So I stayed there a couple of days and she didn't call me. So I thought, she's not calling me back. I'm just going back to the street. I don't know how to live any other way. So I, I got ready to leave the next morning. I've been there a couple of days and I got ready to leave. And my brother said, Doris, you know what? You are killing our mom every time the news come on and they find a woman dead or they find a woman that's severely injured. Our mom goes into a panic mode because she thinks it's you. Can you please just call her and let her know you're doing okay? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I will. You see, the truth was I didn't care. The drugs had done what I needed it to do. It had numbed the pain. But the drugs had done what I didn't want it to do. It had taken away Doris, and I didn't care. I go back to the street, but unknowingly, my brother had planted a seed in my spirit. I would be sitting in a nasty, smelly crack house, and something in my spirit would say, Doris, call your mom. And I'm like, no. I would be walking down the streets of Nashville about to get in a car door with a stranger, not knowing if I was going to get out alive. And something in my spirit would say, hey, Doris, call your mom. So this thing stayed on me for the next eight or nine months. And I was so miserable. I was always miserable on the street. But I'm talking about an extra layer of misery. Nobody would pick me up. And then when they would pick me up, I would change my mind and say no. And they take me against my will. And I'm like, what is going on? 
So I thought, okay, I'll just call my mom. So I called my mom one day and I said, hey, mom, this is Doris. Just wanted you to know I was doing okay. And I was not doing okay. She said, Doris, come home. She said, I need you to do one thing for me before I die. I need you to come home and be a part of this choir anniversary. The family wants you to come home and the kids that you grew up with, the people at the church want you to come home. Can you just do that for me? I'm like, yeah, mama, I'm coming. So I went back home again, but I hadn't been home in about eight or nine months. And when I got home this time, I had blisters underneath the bottom of my feet and I was bruised from the inside out. And I had just about lost my will to live. And I walked into my mom's house and I just collapsed on the bed. And that night I slept more safely and more soundly than I had slept in a couple of decades. I woke up the next morning and I went, I'm home. And my mom was out in the kitchen cooking. So I can remember when I grew up, my mom had a habit of doing her housework. And she, as she do her housework, she would talk to God like he was her best friend. So I heard her in the kitchen that morning. She said, good morning, God. My baby's home. I need you to keep her here this time because if she goes back out there, she's going to die. Can you keep her here, God? And my mom had a habit of singing while she did her housework. She would always sing praise songs. And I remember there was one song she used to sing all the time that sounded like, Oh, Lord, I want you to be And it was a little liturgy, a little song that she loved singing. And so I got up and my mom came in the room and fed me and the food was delicious. And I got up and got dressed and I called Regina. And she didn't answer, but I left her a message. I said, Regina, I'm home and I'm going to be here for two whole weeks because I come home to do an anniversary. So can you please just get me in the program after I do this choir anniversary? And I said, please, Regina, I need you. And I hung up. So I go up to the church that evening. And when I got there, all the people were my childhood friends. I hadn't seen them since they were little kids. And now they were mothers and fathers. And there was a one uh, one girl was a school teacher. And one guy had turned into the minister of the church. And there was a fireman. And they were members of society. And I'm like, wow. And they looked at me and they said, is that you, Doris? I'm like, yeah, it's me. And they loved on me. And they said, Doris, we got this song we want you to sing. We know you can sing it. It's a song by Lenny Battles, Chicago Mass Choir. And the name of the song is You're Looking at a Miracle. And I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, Doris, the song sounds just like you. And I said, come on, y'all. I don't look like a miracle. And I don't feel like a miracle. I can't. I just can't. And they said, yes, you can, Doris. So for the next two weeks. I stayed at my mom's house. I didn't trade myself as though I was some type of a commodity. I didn't put drugs into my body, which is actually my temple. But I stayed at my mom's house and I tried to get these words in my spirit that every time you look at me, you're looking at a miracle. So we had the choir anniversary and I sang and I praised and I've done things unlike I had done in a couple of decades.
But you see, the problem was every night when I went to sleep, I was having using dreams. And for anyone who don't know what that is, it's like you if you are addicted to any substance or if you have been in, or if you are in really in really bad relationships, that when you close your eyes at night, all that stuff comes to you. So I would have nightmares and I would have bad dreams and I would wake up in a sweat. So I woke up the next morning after the anniversary and I was drenched and I was so fearful. And I'm like, whoa, I've been without drugs two whole weeks and I can't take it no more. I come home and I did what my mom asked. Regina hadn't called me, so I'm just going back. I'm just going back to the street. So I got up to start packing my clothes. Now, usually when I would come home to my mom's house, I would stay there for a few days. My mom would send me to the store. Whatever money was left over, I would keep it. But this morning, when I was packing my clothes, my mom was out in the kitchen talking to God, and she was praying harder than I've ever heard anybody pray in their life. And she was quoting every verse she could think of in the Bible. And I remember she was saying, I'm standing on your promises. You said you would never leave me nor forsake me. And she was saying, God, I need you to keep my baby here because she's going to die if she goes back out there. And my mom was singing that song to the top of her voice. And you could feel the vibrations on the window. And she was like, oh, Lord, I want you to hear me. She was calling on him. And it was like from her mouth to God's ear. And I'm in the room trying to get back to the crack house. I'm like calling folks. I'm like, this is Doris. The first person said they had a flat tire. And I'm like, so I called the next person and they didn't have enough gas to come get me. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, mama, stop praying. I'm trying to get to the crack house. So I started leaving messages. This is Doris. When you get this message, give me a call. I got money. I'm ready to go. So I'm packing my clothes because I'm sure I'm getting out of there. And my mom came around the corner. She said, Doris, what are you doing? I said, Mama, I'm going back. I, I came home. I did what you asked me to do. That girl never did call me back. So I'm just going home. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. She said, what are you doing? I said, Mama, I'm going back. So I turned around and looked at her and my mom had tears running down her face. And if I had been in my right mind, that would have stopped me. But nothing could stop me in those days when I wanted drugs. So she said, what are you doing? And I said, mama, I'm going back. And I'm like, somebody hurry up and call me. And the phone rang. I'm like, I'm out of here. I said, hello, you ready to come get me? It was Regina. <laughs> I thought I was getting a ride back to the street, but I got a ride into the will of God. I got a ride into Thistle Farms. So I called Thistle Farms the vessel that God sent to come get me. So I came into the Thistle Farms program against my will, not knowing that it was going to be the best choice in my life. I came to Thistle Farms on a Monday morning, November the 9th, 2009. I got my life back. So I've been in that community for close to 14 years. I've gotten my life back. And I remember walking in and I saw all these women sitting in this beautiful house and they were all glowing. 
And they were learning how to live life on life's terms without the use of drugs and alcohol. They were getting their GEDs. Some of them were going back to school and getting their master's degree. And it was an amazing sight. I'm like, is this what I've been fighting against all my life? So when I got to Thistle Farms, when I first walked in, I thought that I was going to be judged. And I thought I deserved to be judged. So I'm like, when I go in here, I know they're going to say, what you been doing, Doris? What's wrong with you? But they didn't. The director, Donna Grayer, asked me a very profound question. When I walked in the door, she said, Doris, what happened to you? And I'm like, so I got it right from the very beginning that it wasn't that I was a bad person. It was what had happened to me, and it was my response to what had happened to me that had manifested itself into an addiction. And the addiction had manifested itself into me trading myself as though I was some type of a commodity to fuel my addiction. So I found out that there was a way out. So now I get to watch other women come into the program and they walk in with their head down and they're not sure that they can do it, but we get to watch them bloom into something beautiful. So Thistle Farms is an amazing, life-changing organization. And so people ask me sometimes, because I get to travel all around the United States and tell my life story. Sometimes folks will ask me, um, so where is the farm? And I'm like, uh, I don't work on a farm, but they call it thistle farms because thistles are survival weeds. Thistles have prickly sides to them, just like we did. But thistles grow through concrete. They survive drought, but they have a beautiful, glorious purple center. So when we get there, we bloom into something really beautiful. We call it the farm because wherever we go, we plant seeds of hope. And we're all around the world planting seeds of hope. Our tagline is love heals. Love is the most powerful force for change in the world. And this organization loves on folks until they can love themselves. And I have to say, I love me now, probably too much, but I love me now. But that's what Thistle Farms does. So my story is no better or no worse than anybody else's story. It's just that we get our lives back and we find a way out of all the darkness. And they bring us into Thistle Farms and they teach us how to make these beautiful candles because we are the light of the community. So that's what Thistle Farms does. So by them telling me to dream and dream big, I became an author about a year ago. So now I'm an author and I'm a speaker and I have my own LLC company and my book is called Hope is always real because for a long time, I didn't have hope. But for anybody hearing this message, I would love for you to go on the website at thistlefarms.org and just look at the beautiful products. And, you know, we can always have people to come in and volunteer, shop online, come in the cafe and bring a friend with you and eat lunch, donate, whatever you can do, because it's a two-year program that's totally free to the survivor, but we only keep our doors open through the sales of our products, private donations, and grants. So we invite you all into the circle. But Thistle Farms is an absolutely amazing, life-changing organization. It is. It really is. Yeah. Well, Doris, I couldn't have said it any better. Your story, <laughs> it's just, that is just a beautiful story of God's faithfulness in your yeah. life and just yeah 
seeing how God used people to bring you to this incredible organization when yes. you probably didn't want to go there, but it was <laughs> but the best he... decision that God forced me to in my life. It's a very great. I'm so glad I got there. And now I wish I had gotten there a lot sooner, but it's a wonderful yeah. place to be. Yeah, it is. But it's just, it's incredible to see how he's used you at the Soul Farms. And it's incredible to see the growth that this ministry has been through, through yes. the years. And, yes. you know, um, I mean, you, you said, you said it all, you said how people can get involved and you said just yes. your story of how one life can be changed. So I just, I thank you so much for sharing that and for being a part and for just sharing the ministry yes, of the Soul Farms. Yes. Thank you for amazing. Thank you for doing this today. I appreciate you and I appreciate your story. And I can't wait to see all that God's going to continue to do in your life. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. So just come by and have lunch at the cafe. Just We have an event center there where you can have parties there. Or you can have your uh, company conference there. There's so many options. Just go on the website and look at all that we do. It's an amazing place. It is. Well, perfect. Well, thank you for joining us today, Doris, and thank you for sharing your story. Hi, everybody. We are going to take a quick break from the podcast to talk about our podcast sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling provides mental health therapy from a biblical perspective. They have professional licensed therapists right there and ready to help you in your time of need. To get 10% off of your first month of therapy, you can go to my link, faithfulcounseling.com slash thisdayministry today to check out what they have to offer. Thank y'all so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to keep up with the ministry of Thistle Farms, check them out on all the social media platforms or head over to their website. If you want to keep up to date with everything happening with our ministry, you can find us on all the social media platforms at This Day Ministries. I hope that you know that you are known and seen and loved by the God of the universe today.